Hello, and welcome back to The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America, where each episode we bring you a fresh and insightful new interview with one of the film industry's top directors, conducted by one of their peers. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on Google Play Music, iTunes, Stitcher, or on our SoundCloud page at soundcloud.com slash the director's cut. And if you're enjoying the director's cut, please take a moment to like, share, or comment. We love hearing your feedback. This episode takes us behind the scenes of director Richard Schenkman's new film, The Man from Earth, Holocene. The sequel to his 2007 feature, The Man from Earth, the film continues the story of John Oldman, a 14,000-year-old being comfortably hiding in plain sight as a college professor in Northern California. When four students discover his secret, his existence comes crashing down, putting his life in grave danger and potentially shaking the foundations of humankind. In addition to both Man from Earth films, Mr. Schenkman's credits include the feature films Mischief Night, Abraham Lincoln vs. Zombies, and Then Came Love, Went to Coney Island on a Mission from God, Be Back by Five, and The Pompatus of Love, and the movies for television Muckraker and A Diva's Christmas Carol. Following a recent screening of the film at the DGA Theater in Los Angeles, Mr. Schenkman spoke with director Larry Brand about filming The Man from Earth Holocene. During their conversation, Mr. Schenkman discusses how the sequel came about from the cult status of the original film, how two of his favorite directors, Norman Jewison and Sidney Lumet, influenced his career, and how his approach to movies doesn't come from a genre perspective. Hi. Well, it was a lot of fun seeing it on a big screen. Thank you. I'd um, seen some earlier cuts, I believe. Yes, um, and gave notes on the script, too. How are my notes? That's my first question. <laughs> Brilliant, um, of course. It's all about, you know, the interviewer. Um, I guess the, the first question is, this uh, took 10 years. Uh, the, the first one was in 2007, is that correct? Um, what was the process of, of creating the sequel to a movie that, that did very well? It became kind of a cult uh, hit in, in many ways. I know, I know there were a lot of illegal downloads, and if you want to talk about that, that's kind of an interesting story as well. But, but what's the process of, of, of going from that film to this one? Um, I should probably talk a little bit about the original film uh, first. What happened was back in 1998, I, uh, I got a script. My, my friend Gary DePew, who's here, uh, was a producer who uh, informed me about a script called the, the Man from Earth by a guy named Jerome Bigsby. And of course, I knew who Jerome Bigsby was because he had worked on Star Trek and Twilight Zone and all that stuff. And um, so I got the script and I read it and I loved it. And Gary and I went to have a meeting with Emerson Bigsby, who was the son of Jerome Bigsby, because Jerome had died a year or so before. And he had literally written this script on his deathbed. It was the last thing, after a career of being sort of an incredible science fiction writer, this was the last thing he'd ever written. So, uh, and wrote it on like napkins and scraps of papers and stuff like that. And then Emerson would go home and type it up and then Jerome died. And uh, after you know, a period, Emerson went out with it to try to get it made. So anyway, I really loved it. We went to this meeting. We all loved each other. We were gonna get it made. And then I never heard anything again. And I found out later on that Emerson's manager slash producer guy had said, well, if this guy likes it and he's nobody, who's only made one or two movies, we can get it to somebody really, really good. Um, 
So they tried to do that for a long time, but apparently it never happened. So many years later, um, now it's like 2005, 2006. And, uh, and my friend Dean Aliotto, who, I, who, I, who was here, had made a movie on mini-DV for like $110,000. And it looked like a movie, even though it was made for $110,000 on mini-DV. So I said, well, shit, I can do that. Um, and I was talking to uh, my friend Eric Wilkinson about it, who was here. And, um, and he said, well, okay, great. What script have you got? That, that you can do for $100,000. And I said, nothing I've written, but there was this thing I read years ago that was eight people in a room, and we could probably do that for like 100. So um, so we called, anyway, it's too late to make a long story short, but we called uh, Emerson, and I said, hey, I don't know if you remember me, but I, I loved your dad's script. And he said, oh, remember you, you're the only director that ever wanted to shoot it the way my dad wrote it. Everybody else wanted to add flashbacks and, and all action scenes and all this stuff. And you know you really wanted to do it the way he wrote it, so I said, "Well, I have no money, but we can shoot it, you know, like he wrote it with just these few notes that I had back in 1998." And he said, "Okay, let's do it." So we made the movie for like 115,000, um, and we got you know distribution for it. Except what happened was the internet decided that it loved the movie. Uh, because of the Star Trek connections, because of whatever. Everybody decided they loved the movie, but nobody wanted to pay for it. They all felt like it should be downloaded for free. I don't know why, um, but that's what they decided en masse. So they all downloaded it for free on the BitTorrent sites, but then they would all, but they loved it, so they'd go to IMDb and give it a 10. So we had the situation where two weeks before the movie actually came out officially, uh, it, it rose up 11,000% on the IMDb movie meter in a week. And we said, what the fuck? So we did some research, found out about the piracy. And um, anyway, so we did the best we could. You know, it got sold around the world, it came out. But, but over the years, it's continued to, I mean, I had these Russian hackers back last April uh, do a check for me. April of this year, 10 years later, it was still being downloaded a thousand times a day all over the world. Mostly Russia, but still uh, all over the world. Um, so a few years after that movie came out, uh, we started, you know, first, oh, the first thing that happened was a lot of people said they wanted to do, see it as a play. So I wrote it as a play, got it published by Samuel French, and the play's been performed all over the world. And then people started talking about a movie or a TV series or something like that. And so after a couple of false starts, what I finally landed on was the idea of trying to get a TV series going and of doing a TV pilot. Um, and we tried raising money for that, but we couldn't raise money for an independent TV pilot. So that's when I had the idea of going back to what I sort of grew up on, which was, you know, like when you'd see The Hulk or The Six Million Dollar Man or Kung Fu, it'd be this 90 minute movie that you'd see on TV and then they'd make a series out of it. Like months later, there'd be a series. And you say, oh, cool, they turned that movie into a series. I, I mean, I, in retrospect, I guess those were pilots, but they were feature-length pilots. So we thought, we'll make basically a feature-length pilot and present it to the world as a movie, but then try to set it up as a TV series. That's how we made it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, good night. <laughs> okay. Um well, uh, obviously this one is, I mean, I assume a lot of people here have seen, where, by the way, is Eric here? You said Eric's here? There's the producers and, and co-writer, Eric Wilkinson. 
and uh, all around great guy. Um, this one is far more uh, logistically um, expansive and uh, obviously required a lot more production value. Well, it had a lot more production value. The first one was shot essentially in one room, in one cabin. And uh, it's, it's obvious how you can you know, keep costs down. Although $110,000 is, is really, a, I, I shot a movie in, in 12 days on one location and it, it costs $300,000. So to do it for 100 is like astonishing to me. Um, but this one is, is far more expensive and um, you know, just, just I, I wanna ask you what the budget is. I mean, you were generous enough to tell us what the budget of the first one is. But how did you deal with the far greater and more ambitious production uh, in this uh, sequel? Um, well, I'll just tell you, I don't care. We shot the movie in 12 days um, for just under $300,000. Um, I don't know how, because I've blacked out, kind of the way women forget giving birth. Right. I've forgotten how. No, I mean, you know, unfortunately or unfortunately, whatever, like my whole, you know, quote unquote career is making low budget movies, you know? Um, so you just, Get used to that. I mean, how many how many locations were there? Do you do you recall? Um, uh, you know, we were like two days at the college, and we were the girls' apartment and Liko's apartment was was the same location, so that was a day, and then um, at the you know out in the woods for his sojourn was a day, and uh, you know Art's house was a day. But we did something else that night. I'm sure. Uh, the the basement was a set. We actually built a set on a stage, which was just amazing for a low budget movie. And we were on that for two and a half days. Uh, and then the other half a day, we did did all the driving stuff. Um, you know, I forget. Now, also, you you have uh, three of the same actors from the first piece. What's that? You have three of the same actors for the from the first movie. Yes. Um, but the how? last one's supposed to be a surprise. Right. Like when Harry turns up, that's supposed to be it. For people that are big fans, my hope is that for people that are big fans of the original movie, you know, when, when they see Harry, they'll go, oh, hey, hi, and like it'll be a really big thing. That's what I'm hoping. So in terms of the the, um, the cart and the horse, uh, uh, were you committed to getting those actors? I mean, if you had not gotten William Catt, for example, um, what? how did you make certain that you got the actors? You know, I mean, how, how did that process work out? Uh, gotcha. Um, well, the first thing I did was meet with David Lee Smith and make sure he was going to want to do it. And uh, scared the hell out of me, scared the hell out of me when I first saw him because he had um, stopped eating, basically. And he had gotten really, really skinny and he looked like hell. He looked just absolutely terrible. And I thought, what the f and, But it turns out he'd gone through a bad breakup or something. And being an actor and very dramatic, you know, he decided all he could do is smoke and starve himself um, for a year. So I said, well, if we're going to make this movie, we're going to have to put some weight back on and look like a human being. And he said that was not going to be a problem. Um, and William Catt, you know, um, we'd kept in touch with. Uh, well, here's the thing. Um, <laughs> fun tip. We had given everybody back end on the original movie. We'd given them points. But, and this is crazy. We paid them their points. See, like as we would make money on the movie, we would cut them checks and mail them the checks and actually give them their back end. We did that with everybody who worked on the movie. So, you know. Yeah, just stress that, please, because he's not <laughs> just talking about the actors. You're talking about the crew, right? Yeah, we gave everybody points. 
and we and we sent everybody their checks. And it's funny because like a lot of people on the crew had been, yeah, never, yeah, sure, points. You know, so it's like sometimes we sent them the checks out of spite. You know, it's like, you know, you didn't believe me. Well, here's your goddamn $700. Um, but um, but all the actors we sent their points to, too. So, you know, and and and, and William Catt and Tony Todd and some other people who worked on the original movie told me on more than one occasion that of all the movies they've done and all the back end they were promised in the course of their careers, the only movie that ever actually paid them points was Man From Earth. These tiny, tiny little micro-budget movie actually paid them their back end. So when you go back to them, you know, years later and say, hey, we're going to do a thing. We're thinking about doing a sequel. And, you know, they're like, yeah, sure, I'll do it because um, you maintain those relationships. Um, plus, in, in, in William Katz's case, you know, he and Eric had become really good friends over the years and really kept in touch. And Eric had put him into a couple of other movies he had produced and stuff. And so, you know, and Billingsley and I had, had stayed friends. And so uh, it, it was, yeah, it was basically it was a phone call. Now, um it's a plot point that uh, the character's aging, and I think that, that actually works very well. It just kind of leads to other questions and obviously a sequel, we hope. Um, so was that plot point dictated by the fact that your, actors, your actor really does age, or was it, because clearly you could have just fudged it and pretended that he didn't get older. I, I kind of admire the fact that you didn't do that. Was that always, was that always kind of part of your idea, was to just say, look, we've, we had an actor who's not 10 years older, we're not going to fake it, we're just going to kind of come up with a plot point. Again, wh which was the chicken and which was the egg on that? Um, it wasn't always the idea. Uh, originally, when we first started talking about doing the sequel, it was much it was a long time ago. It was just a couple of years after the original one. And uh, we actually had an idea uh, to do a sequel that you wouldn't, that the twist in the end would be that it was a prequel. You wouldn't know until the last scene of the movie, like, oh shit, this is actually 10 years before. Um, but then that sort of moment sort of passed. And then I gotta tell you, when I saw David that time, I only had sort of an inkling of a story. And then when I saw him, I was like, oh, there was no way on God's earth he can play right. how he was you know that and thinking about the world and you know just how much has happened just literally the last couple of hundred years i mean just since the industrial revolution and so i thought between the fact that the technology has changed so much and the guy won't really be able to hide anymore combined with what we've done to the planet just in the last couple of hundred years it's not unreasonable to think that whatever chemistry that existed on the earth that made him able to heal and just carry on, not really aging past 35, maybe that's been messed up somehow. Did, did you, um, it, it's never, I, I think, explained in either movie, which I think is good. I think movies tend to over-explain. But in your mind as, as writer-director, did you have an idea of, of what created this phenomenon? Or do you just kind of, I'm, I'm clearly leave it to our imagination, but do you leave it to your own imagination as well? or? No, I think it's, uh, you know, it's just a mutation. Okay. And uh, in the original movie, he references having bumped into somebody once uh, who he thought might be another one like him. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so in my mind, there are a few around uh, that he's not actually alone. And that if we did actually get to invest, you know, if we did get to explore this as either a TV series or as a series of one or two more movies, that that, that would maybe factor in. Did, uh, I forgot, did Emerson write, uh, co-write the first one as well? No, what happened with the first one was that it was Jerome, well. It was purely Jerome. Sorry, uh, to hear Emerson tell it, he did write some part of it with his dad, mm -hmm. but I never knew what part, and right. his dad had sole credit. 
on the uh, script so that right. even though I did, you know, a fair amount of rewriting, I, I didn't take any credit because I thought, you know, it's sure. Jerome Bixby's The Man from Earth. Yeah. Uh, well, so Emerson did co-write the, the set. Were, were there any... On this uh, one, um, the way this thing was, Eric and I worked up the story mm-hmm. and then I wrote a draft and Emerson had a lot of really strong feelings about the draft and wrote a bunch of stuff saying, here's what I think you should do. And um, and there was enough in there that I thought was good and that we should adopt that I gave him a co-writing credit. Yeah, uh, well, I was wondering, I mean, you've got the son of, of a father who had, had died, and obviously he's very proprietary uh, about not only the material, but the fact that it was his father. W- was that a, Were there any special challenges involved in in kind of having to negotiate if you, if you really didn't like, it's, it's great if you like an idea, but if you don't like an idea, was that a tricky matter or was it? Yeah. 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 It was, it was a, it was a, uh, the problem was that, that I thought we had a pretty airtight agreement to make a sequel uh, or a series or whatever. And I, I showed it to a, a lawyer and he said, who wrote this? And I said, I did. And uh, he said, yeah. So his feeling was before we proceeded, we should get like a real contract with Emerson. And so because I needed to go back to Emerson and negotiate, or rather, because I needed to go back to Emerson and ask him to sign a real contract, that opened up a negotiation. And it wasn't really so much about money because he knew we didn't have any money, but it became about, you know, creative input and approvals and stuff. And so it was a very tricky dance for a while. Um, But finally, Emerson remembered how much he loved the original movie. um, And so he decided to trust me and we were able to move forward. Um, now the um, movie has fairly uh, defined religious ideas in it. Um, is there a special uh, kind of um, challenge or sensitivity that you felt when you're dealing with religious matters? Um, you know, to uh, did you care about offending? Did you not care? Um, but you're, when you're dealing with religious, especially the the, the figure of Jesus Christ as the character of Philip, you know, clearly is is um, uh, perturbed by it. And I think, because we talked about this when you were writing the drafts in terms of making him human and not making him a cliche, and I think the actor also you were well served by the kid. I thought he did a, a really good job. Um, but but when you were in the writing and in the directing, do you is that something you deal with in terms of learning more than you may, might have known about the religions and also in, in treating them respectfully? I mean, that was the hardest part. You know, Jerome Bixby had basically been reading for, you know, his whole life. He, he, his, you know, all he had been doing his whole life was researching for this script, or, or not this script, but the, the, the original Man from Earth, um, and not me. You know, I've been doing other stuff, so... Um, so when uh, the hardest part was all of the research, you know, uh, because I wanted to make sure that there weren't mistakes and I wanted to make sure that we were fair to every point of view and that every point of view was, was basically reasonable. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the goal. Whether it's been achieved or not, I don't know, but that was the goal. Um, so that was the single hardest part, definitely, was sure. writing all the theological stuff. Yeah. No, I remember that in the in the in the in the process of writing it and the different uh, the drafts. Um, I mean, honestly, that was one of the reasons that I you know put off making this movie was it was just so intimidating. It was intimidating to make a sequel to a movie that so many people love so much, 
and basically just opened myself up for, you know, you ruined everything, uh, which is inevitable. Uh, mm. And and the sheer amount of work it was going to be to to learn all this crap and write about it, you know, intelligently. Well, yeah, I mean, you never predict what an audience is, is going to do. Um, I wrote the last Halloween movie, and, and prior one, you know, uh, Laurie had chopped off Michael Myers' head, and I figured, well, I'm going to do everybody a favor by bringing him back. Everybody hated it, because they said that was a great way to end the series. So, you know, you can never predict what, what an audience is going to say. They could have hated you for bringing it back rather than, you know. Um, I'm expecting it. <laughs> have you figured out uh, what to do about the, uh, the illegal download problem? Um, we have a plan. Uh, our plan is to put the movie up. Uh, our plan is to put the movie up digitally, uh, you know, through a, a pay portal like Vimeo, something along those lines, where where people all over the world. Our feeling was that one of the reasons people pirated it so much, the original mm -hmm. movie, was because they'd heard about it and they wanted to see it and they wanted to see it now but it wasn't available in their country because oh. they were in Ukraine or Poland or France or Germany or anywhere where it hadn't come out yet. So they downloaded it illegally. Well, now there is technology to say, hey, everybody in the world, all you have to do is go to Vimeo uh, or go to Movie Saints or go to any one of the other portals and pay a couple of dollars and you can watch the movie legally. Mm -hmm. So the hope is that they're going to do that. The backup, the twisted backup plan is that we are going to, I should point out that something that we did after we realized how many people were stealing the movie was we actually went out onto the internet and we said, hey, uh, thanks for watching our movie, thanks for loving our movie. Uh, if you'd like to give us a few dollars, go to madfromearth.com, hit donate, and send us a donation. And a few thousand people have done that over the last decade, uh, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. So our plan for the new one is to actually put the movie up ourselves in the pirate uh, ecology with a message, or the pirate ecosystem rather, with a message saying, um, if you're watching this without having paid anything for it, please go to manfromearth.com and make a donation, enjoy the movie. And we're gonna actually put that up ourselves the same time that it goes up uh, through the, the legal pay windows and we will see what happens. Well, I know this, this, this idea of, of putting, putting something up and, and having people pay. Uh, I, I believe Louis C.K. did one a few years ago where he basically had a show and it was like, it was a couple of bucks, it was very, very cheap. Um, it, it, does the technology exist that, in, in his case, was it simply, again, a kind of a voluntary thing? Or, or, or the, will there, is there, there've gotta be ways around whatever technology we come up with to protect ourselves, right? So it's, it's ultimately, it kind of is the honor system? Yeah, ultimately it's the honor system. I mean, right. it, it's incredibly easy to defeat any of these things, no matter what kind of security they think they have. You know, iTunes thinks it's got, you know, this DRM technology. You go boop and you download a DRM removal software and, and then you can go share it with anybody you want. It's, it's completely the honor system. Um, now, more of a general uh, kind of director question. Um, you've done, as, as most of us have, I guess, who had careers lasting more than a couple of years, pictures of all different genres. I mean, Coney Island and, and Pompidus, which were, I guess, what you'd call art films in a non-pretentious way. They were just kind of really cool movies, little indie, mo indie movies, I think is kind of a better way to say it. Um, I think you did November, what was it? I forget. November, October 22. October 22, which was a thriller. And this, which is, it's kind of, it's uh, unclassifiable. It's kind of sui generis. Um, is there, is there, 
do you tend to approach a movie as a movie? I do, I, I, I've done a lot of the Traverse City Film Festivals, which is Michael Moore's festival, and he now has this thing where, at least last time I was there, he didn't want to give awards for documentaries and films because movies are movies. I think that's a little extreme. I think it's kind of nuts and somewhat pretentious. But um, there is a point to it, which is that movies are movies, and editing is editing, and whether you're doing a documentary. So when you approach a movie like this, as opposed to October or Coney Island, is there a philo philosophical difference, or do you basically just, I've got a story, I've got actors, I'm going to cut it, it's a movie. Is there, is there a different approach in doing these different genre films? That's funny that you should ask that, because I did, a, I did like a Halloween-themed thriller you know, that was like a blind girl trapped in a house um, uh, kind of oh, thing. Oh, sure, yeah. And, and yeah. Um, I... Uh, Mischief Night. Let's put it this way. My heroes are Norman Jewison and Sidney Lumet. Okay. You know, like my heroes are people who make every different kind of movie. So uh, I, I... That's what I want to do. Like I'm dying to do a Western, dying to do a musical. So um, I don't look at a movie in terms of how it fits into genre, which is, I don't know if that's a strength or a weakness, I honestly don't, but mm -hmm. I, uh, I, like when I made Mischief Night, I never thought like, okay, how do I make this like an Alfred Hitchcock movie? I, 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 just, sure. I just, here's the script, here's the story, you know, what is the, the, the best way to film this in the extraordinarily limited amount of time I have available to right. shoot this movie? Um, it's really that. I, I, I don't say, okay, now I'm going down the tunnel of this genre. Yeah, I, I I would agree. I was, I, yeah. I, I think movies, in in that sense, once you're involved in on the, on the inside of the process, all you're thinking is how do I tell this story? Whether even whether it's a documentary. Yeah. Have you done a documentary? Yes. What was your documentary? I, I just well, I've done a number of them, but I just finished one like oh, two good. weeks ago. Then it was that that was a good question. Then. <laughs> um, I did a documentary uh, about a documentary. There was this 1980 documentary called DOA: A Rite of Passage about the um, Sex Pistols American tour, and then generally about the punk scene in in New York and uh, London. And uh, so this movie uh, came out in 1980, 81, and then kind of fell into obscurity because the rights were all messed up and blah, blah, blah. So finally, it's coming back out again on, for the first time on Blu-ray and I think even legally on DVD. And so I was hired to do a documentary about basically the making of this documentary and slightly broader picture, uh, the rise and fall of the Sex Pistols and the legacy of punk rock in general. Mm -hmm. And the funny thing is that this documentary I made, which is basically a bonus content for the DVD of DOA, is longer than DOA. Go figure. I think we have to... Okay, well, I'm not getting a signal, but I imagine... Oh, did I you have one more? I will be. Just about the sequel. The obvious... Uh... The, yeah, the, the you know, Marvel it's, ending. It, it's funny. I, 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 have, I still have no idea if that was a good idea or a bad idea to do the mid-credits thing um, and to do it that way. Well, it keeps, pe keep, keeps people in their seats, right? So the, well, the, well, the, idea, the idea was, like I said, if you think of the movie basically as a pilot for a series, the idea was to sort of kick off what the next thing is. Okay, we know that John has gone off with Harry and he's going to you know, talk to his dad and maybe help his dad feel okay about dying or whatever it is. But in the meantime, what are the bad guys up to? And that was the idea, to sort of kick off what the lines of conflict were going to be moving forward. Okay. I don't know. Did it work? I don't know. Did, did, well, did do, it, do we have any prospects for a series, or is that kind of just uh, out there? I, I haven't gone on those meetings yet. Gotcha. I'm hoping that someone's going to help me. Okay. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Really appreciate it. <laughs>
Thanks for listening to another DGA Q&A. Don't forget, you can check out past episodes of The Director's Cut wherever you listen to podcasts. As we get deeper into awards season, we'll continue to give you director-focused conversations about this year's most anticipated films. So be sure to subscribe to our podcast to stay up to date on the great discussions we have coming up. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please like, share, and leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Thanks again for listening, and have a great week. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America. Music is by Dan Wally.